Welcome to a second, a, the future of AI edition of the Parallax Intellectual Deep Web Extravaganza. With me is also my co-host Andrew Sweeney, also Alexander Bard, Alexander Ebert, and Thomas Hammerick. And we hope that Jim Rudd will join soon. Thank you guys for being here again. Okay, so now we can, I think we can shift gears because Alexander was alluding to a piece of a comment that, uh, that Thomas did in response to the first um, episode that we did. And Thomas, you were kind of, um, you were commenting on desire, prohibition and ritual and how new technologies kind of um, disrupt um, prohibition. And you, you made some, you had some ideas about what happened or what will happen. And so the question is, instead of reading the, the whole thing, could you elaborate a little bit on, on what you meant and, you know, Describe what you see for the future. Yeah, so so we have like three ingredients that come together, right? So we first uh, archaic human, so three hundred thousand years old. That that archaic human has a certain uh, uh, certain anthropology, so basically a structural way of behaving that hasn't changed very much. So ancient humans, that's the first factor. The second factor is that we've interconnected everybody using a, a digital network, the internet. And that is actually something that's very relevant given the, the, the fundamentals of anthropology. And now there's the third uh, element, and that is AI. And I'm not so, talking so much about AI as an intelligent agent that will start acting on its own, but it's something that sees everything and that can be used to set up rules and enforce them because it sees everything. You can al already see, see this in, in uh, dictatorships. So let me elaborate a bit on this. So, so we have archaic human, we have the network, we have AI. So why is that such a such an incredible cocktail? Well, um, so first of all, for anthropology, we need to bring in Girard. So what are humans about? Why do humans do what they do? Why do they desire things? Well, Girard, so a French-American thinker, pointed out that human desire is mimetic. So we don't really know what we want. We don't really have any individual desire. Uh, we look at other people, we see what they want, and then we want it too. That's what, what makes us different from animals. So we have mimetic desire animals do not have that now obviously if we want what other people want that uh, creates a lot of conflict because you compete over things you compete over mates you compete over resources you compete over prestige and so on and so on so archaic humans needed mechanisms to get rid of of this of this very dangerous thing which is mimetic desire so they had two mechanisms and the first thing is prohibition and that means under normal circumstances, we are going to regulate desire very, very strictly. That's the ordinary time. It's the time of prohibition. But that can lead to ossification. So, for example, okay, good sexuality is regulated, but at some point you need to find a mate. So you sometimes you need to break times of prohibition and you enter time of ritual. And time of ritual is where you do things. So first you break all the rules because sometimes it's necessary in order to create new situations like finding a mate. And the second thing that happens in, in ritual, that is scapegoating. So in order to get rid of all the aggression that has been building up in times of prohibition, you're going to say, well, at the end of the month, with full moon, we're going to designate some old woman uh, living in the, in the forest as a witch, and we're going to burn her. And we are going to project all our aggression onto that, onto that scapegoat, onto that woman, so we can pacify, um, pacify the community again. And that's religion. That's the structure of religion. Religion structures time in terms of times of prohibition, where there are strict rules or, uh, uh, for desire, and uh, times of, of uh, ritual, where you have transgression, where you have scapegoating. That's basically what it is. That's basically what religion is. Now, we've networked everybody together, and now everybody can look at each other. So it used to be very unusual that a poor peasant was in contact with somebody who was very rich. But now you are basically, you can be Facebook friends with somebody who's 100 times richer than you. So that means that mimetic desire has exploded in the internet age. And the second thing is that scapegoating is exploding in the internet age. So we have all of these uh, online groups, hate groups that go, go after scapegoats. So that means that we have increasing, increasing prohibition and increasing and increasing scapegoating because we have this increasing and increasing networking. And now we have the third element, AI. So this increased networking or this increased uh, network nature of the world also 
leads to an, uh, an increased demand for religion, for religious structure. We want prohibitions and we want ritual. At the same time, the internet and the modern developments, uh, science and so on, they've, they've abolished uh, traditional religion. So there's this huge vacuum. People are screaming for prohibition. People are screaming for ritual. That means transgression, intoxication, scapegoating. And there is no real religious structure uh, there to help them with it because the internet is so new, religions don't know what to do with it. And now enter AI. And so AI makes it possible to impose prohibition on humans in a completely unparalleled way. And I think that is basically why we have all these, these, these letters, right? Oh, we have AI, we developed AI, we don't know what to do with it, we need regulations. What is this? This is basically the sorcerer apprentices, so our, our very smart nerds who developed all these machine learning algorithms, they are now screaming for prohibition. So who's in charge here and who's going to, to, to use AI to create a structure of prohibition and to impose that on the world? And that the prohibition that we will impose on the world or that will be imposed on the world, that can be a prohibition like you've never seen before because AI potentially sees everything. And you can use AI to regulate anything. It's It works at a split second. You don't even need any secret police anymore. It's all done by computers. So that's go, That's basically, so I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it there. I can go on about it, but you have these three elements, archaic human structure, We've networked everybody, which is very problematic from an anthropological point of view. And now we have a way to really impose all kinds of religious structures on people. We can impose prohibitions on them. We can create rituals on, on them. We can, we can use AI for scapegoating and so on. So what religious structure that is partly rooted in AI is going to be combined with the network and the archaic human? That's the question. That would be my... my, my uh, Absolutely excellent, Thomas. The term for this is sonsocracy. It was invented by some Russian guy a few years ago. I think we give him credit in the book. We needed a term for what AI does when AI takes over and kills politics. The Chinese have a very clear vision where this is going to go. So the only break they have on AI in China is that the Chinese Communist Party must have the last word on everything. So they already are regulating the way these apprentices are screaming for regulation in America and Europe. That's where it happened in China. The problem with China being way ahead of this game and having understood sensocracy is going to happen is that they tied sensocracy to confusion, not the Marxist, the confusion idea of ruling a society with one single guy at the top. They're back at the Egypt. They're back, they're back at the idea with the tyrant at the top. That's how we are arguing, Jan Sedekist and I. We must hurry up intensely to provide an alternative for free and open sensocracy. And I don't think Europe or America is even in that game. That's exactly why I'm so damn interested in these new city states and free state communities. And these guys that go out there, come out of Western culture and go to Honduras and rent a fucking island for 75 years to build a Hong Kong built on crypto. Most of them, of course, will fail. But some somewhere in there expect to find a pattern that we could present that we could call the free and open sensocracy. Because we have to invent it. Otherwise, the Chinese will win and we will only mimetically copy them. That's what we'll do because the soccer will be the will be the police state. That's exactly what's, what what, what should, we should worry about when it comes to AI. Just a clarification: What would free and open sensocracy be? Because I'm not sure if I get that idea. It seems contradictory to me. Okay, we love the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Constitution was brought by the French to the Americans. The French learned it from the Romans, and the Romans got it from the Persians. So, if you go all the way back to antiquity, you have two two empires that have two different ideas on how to run things in Western culture. The fundamental Western culture is the Middle East. It's Persia and Egypt. And Egypt went for the one tyrant because they had one river, et cetera, and built pyramids and believed in the afterlife. And Christianity is a remnant of that. But, but they did that. Their empire didn't last. The Bronze Age collapse was the collapse of Egypt, and Egypt never returned to form again. The Persians managed to run their empire 2,200 years in different variants. The last one was Safavids, which is actually in Muslim empire. But, but you know, they had two, you know, three Sorastin and one Muslim empire had been Persian empires over 2,000 years. They've always been built on the idea of splitting power. So the idea is by splitting power in a dialectical triad, hence narratology, by splitting it into a power that's representing by logos, the symbolic power, by a power that's representing the mythos, which is the imaginary power, 
And by power, that represents real power, the real assets, the real things in a society, which is, of course, then the, the, the third real power. Okay, all paradigms return and then finally stabilize around such triads. And we know who they are because the feudalist society that Putin wants to go back to was the nobility, the monarch, and the church. Exactly what Putin is trying to drag Russia at the moment, it will not work. Uh, then we replace that with the bourgeoisie and you know the, the, the corporate guys who created the industry. And we added to them the symbolic power, which is academia that replaced the church. And then uh, besides the real power and the symbolic power, we had the imaginary power, which is politics replaced the monarchies. Now, that means that Peter Thiel and these guys, they've understood that academia will die. Great. We've all understood that old industries died because tech is killing everything, right? What they don't get, what the Chinese get and we get, is that politics will die. You will certainly vote more for AI than a corrupt or, or manipulated politician. And you will do that very soon. And if you start voting for the AI, the question is, are there several AIs competing? Or is this just one AI? The Chinese have made their bet. They want to go for centralized technology. Go all the way up to Beijing, Beijing controlling everything. We are working with decentralized technologies. So we're, I'm totally with the crypto guys and all these guys right now because we, we have to work on decentralizing technologies. And so far it looks good because the real surprising thing coming out of Google and these guys over the last few months has been that it's actually really easy and cheap to do real advanced AI, which operates locally. That's exactly the sort of news right now that is good news that we didn't expect. So I'm on the side of decentralization. I'm going totally Deleuze in my philosophy. I know what the Chinese are up to. We quickly have to present alternative. And that's the free and open sensocracy is at least three different powers at loggerheads with each other and not a tyrant. So Jim, what's your take on this? Yeah, this is uh, clearly an interesting phase change that we're going to go through here. This is uh, unprecedented in, I think, uh, this particular phase change. But as you pointed out, uh, Alexander, it is at least analogous to some changes in the past. And uh, and as you also pointed out, there there is a uh, checks and general checks and balances, pluralistic approach, and then there's a unified approach, which are uh, templates we've seen again and again and again in, uh, in human history. Uh, and uh, as you also point out, the U.S. Constitution very explicitly based on the separation of powers and the theory that uh, that balance, while it produce, has its uh, negatives, also has great positives compared to uh, a, a single uh, ramification. Uh, however, I think the time has now come to go a step further. And uh, again, Alexander is pointing in that direction, which is to a radical subsidiarity uh, where power is delegated as far down as possible, but no further to address each class of problems. Uh, so for instance, uh, questions, uh, I like to use it because it's relatively trivial, uh, the question of should alcoholic drinking be allowed on the streets of it uh, of X uh, in under subsidiarity, the answer would be the neighborhood should decide. What what difference does it make to you whether somebody else's neighborhood allows the drinking of alcohol or not? But at the other extreme, let's say greenhouse gases and global warming, uh, because uh, the climate doesn't care where these things are emitted from, those decisions need to be global essentially. And uh, this is where this, a nuanced, multi-layered uh, set of uh, you know, decision-making can indeed be upregulated quite substantially by AIs. Uh, it may not actually be needed at the bottom level, the Dunbar uh, level, uh, tribal level. One of the things that's nice about that is we've proven in 300,000 years of human history. You don't need any technology to govern at the Dunbar level, actually. Uh, but you get above, and in fact, it may, act, it may actually be a good design parameter not to use technology, not even to use apps. It's funny, a lot of Game B people imagine that we'll wire up our, our little village with apps, you know, for governance. I go, why do that? Why not just have a Saturday uh, evening general meeting and hash shit out around the campfire, as humans always have? Uh, but at the other layers, AIs will help us make better decisions. Uh, now, the bigger question, and I would love to hear everybody's answers to this, is uh, that's a normative model. Subsidiarity with decisions made at the correct level 
can it win against the centralized? And if so, how? What's the competitive advantage of subsidiarity versus the, uh, what Alexander would call the Egyptian model or the, the very much in the Chinese model where we'll all come down from the top? You know, I have my own theories that uh, uh, searching the high dimensional design space in parallel with lots of horizontal communications and the AIs will be way better at horizontal communications than humans ever have because AIs don't have a not invented here syndrome, which humans very famously have. Oh, you know, uh, Denmark has shown how to run an advanced economy with a with reasonably good egalitarian economics. Uh, why doesn't the United States just pick that up? Well, because of goddamn Danes. They're no good, right? They're uh, ham and cheese eating monkeys over there. You know, we're going to do it the American way. But AIs don't care. Uh, they're willing to take learnings from anywhere. So um, hy hypothesis, uh, the potential advantage of subsidiarity, distributed AI, uh, et cetera, is uh, – parallel search of high dimensional design space, which will be um, more efficient than a, uh, in the aggregate, in the results, uh, than a top down uh, design uh, space search uh, that you might might get for in China. But I'd love to get other people's uh, thoughts on that. Uh, and to Alexander's point that to somewhat to our surprise, uh, it's clearly turning out that at least this class of AIs, we ought to, always ought to be careful. Uh, we're seeing a tremendous amount of semantic collapse around LLMs, large language models and other closely related uh, uh, transformer-based technologies. Those are right now the cutting edge of AI, but they are not the only kinds of AI that will be emerging and may end up being the, the, the major control systems for our world. But at least it is true that LLMs are turning out to be not very difficult, not very expensive, and that uh, there's absolutely no reason at all that uh, uh, they can propagate out and be easily modified for specific purposes. So it turns out the, the, the realities of the technology are a relatively good fit for a subsidiarity-oriented, self-organizing structure for a society. But we still have to have the question of, will we win if we go that route? I use an example to my students. I just say it's pretty obvious by now that a virus leaked out of a laboratory in Wuhan, China, and it took seven months before somebody told Xi Jinping because they were terrified of telling him. The result was 30 million people dead around the world. That's the problem. I don't moralize against tyranny. I just say tyranny is stupid and it can't last. Tyranny is not sustainable. And all the worst horrors in human history have been tyrannies. So um, my, my, my argument against tyranny is precisely strong. That's why I work with Russians. I did a big, did a big Russian television interview yesterday, leading opposition channel, because I've been working on this for a long time, what the alternative would be to these tyrannies and why these tyrannies always fail and why they cause so much damage. I'm totally with Jim on this one. The, the thing is that the thing is that the productivity gains from AI will happen in the corporate sector because it, it's competitive, at least the competitive part of the corporate sector. Digitalization will just run on and tech will come with a new wave around 2025 and tech will eat everything. The problem though is that we really could use AIs in government and in bureaucracies, you know, and the bureaucracies to come with government because they're not competitive. They're, they're usually monopolies. The problem is that they will, they will, they will put their heels in and do everything they can to tell us that we need them. Big government is back. Why? Big government is back because the politicians want to save their asses and they want to save their friends' asses or the bureaucrats. I think it actually sounds weird. It sounds like it's a rightist thing. But I, actually, I'm a Marxist when I say that a big tax revolt is needed. Because if you pull the rug from governments and bureaucracies so they can't go the Chinese way, they don't have the resources to go the Chinese way. And you basically say, hey, I can do that. We don't need you. Pull the rug from underneath. Right? If you pull, if you drastically lower the taxes rather than giving everybody, you know, citizen salary, you just give people, you give people lower taxes. They usually go off and do great things with them anyway. You give them more resources. I think the key is that decentralization, for that to happen, we have to have a major international tax revolt in the West. And that's the answer we should have as the Chinese. Get rid of big government. Have lots but, of but great to, local governments, yeah. But I have to, but I have to ask. I don't see the the diff, uh, the, the relationship between that and the question that Thomas posed. So why, how is prohibition and ritual organized via AI? Because yeah, obviously, so, it's a hmm? so before the, before the so but when the internet was, was created, right? There was this this beautiful story. Oh, we're going to connect everybody. It's going to be fantastic and. 
is it was a complete good news story right i mean nobody nobody thought that, that just interconnecting everybody that, that that would be that would be leading to an enormous amount of problem that came as a big surprise now when i when i hear jim you know and i'm wondering like where's the where are the considerations about the the let's say the the less benign aspects so where is your i don't I'm wondering about what is your idea of how humans are structured and how they will interact with AI, because it's a very good news story that I hear from you. So AI is going to lead to uh, collaborations and, and new ways of living and this and that. But right now, it's basically just the chaos out there. And isn't it kind of interesting to kind of consider what the the enormous or what the the clash is going to be of of these these ancient humans that have already been been thrown into in, into the internet and now we have an ai on top of that isn't it kind of interesting kind of see like well what, what is out there before we start dreaming about how ai is going to create a great future or is that a, an unpredictive way of, of thinking or working so i'm kind of curious about that yeah, truthfully, I think it's fait accompli. It's there, it's cheap, it's out. Anyone can do it. There's no stopping it. And so all we can do is try to use it for the good and try to keep uh, and try to find out what are the bad scenarios. So for instance, uh, Daniel Dennett, the philosopher, threw out an idea. I'm not sure I endorse it, but I think it's worth thinking about, uh, is that he uh, proposed making uh in person, he called it counterfeiting because he he liked the term. Uh, counterfeiting a human should be a very serious felony on you know the uh, the equivalent of attempted murder or something like that. As an example of how we might uh, socially uh, rule out certain bad cases, at least by law followers. Of course, we also have to understand there will also always be law uh, lawbreakers. So it's like any other uh, technology. Think of the automobile. Right when it first came out, uh, there was no rules about which side of the road to run on, and we quickly had, uh, you know, rules about what side of the road. And very soon thereafter, we got speed limits. Uh, nonetheless, uh, how many people have been killed in the United States alone by automobiles in the last hundred years? I think the number is something on the order of one and a half million. So uh, you have the good and you have the bad, and. AI is no different than AL, or at least AI at the current level. And this is what we talked about last time, uh, that yes, the super intelligence issue, the Yudkowsky uh, Bostrom paperclip maximizer is a risk out there a ways. How far it's out, people can argue about. But the current play of AI, particularly these large language models, uh, I can see some problems with them, but I can also see lots of benefits, uh, and we're just going to have to sort it out. I mean, there's no there's no going back, basically, at this point, and there's so many obvious positives, and while there are also some negatives, they're not as obvious, uh, so uh, my sense is just roll with it. Do the best we can. I can give yeah, another. Well, yeah, okay, but <laughs> I can give it, kinda, Thomas. I can give you another. Like a, a nice positive attitude, and I yeah. agree with that. You know, it's out there, and we need to use it for the good. I mean, I agree with all of that, but I mean, it is it a bit, is it a bit bland. Thomas, I mean, it's a bit Thomas, of a, Thomas, it's okay. It's okay. So the internet's the same way. You say some bad things came around the internet. Some good things too. Uh, the six of us would never have connected if it wasn't for the internet. Uh, I suspect that the net effect on humanity has probably been a net positive uh, from the internet and probably a large net positive. Uh, and, you know, we are tool users, we are tool makers, and that's what we do. Uh, and so at least at this round of AI, I'm willing to uh, roll the dice, see what happens, and assume that if we're smart and if we're diligent and if we can improve our governance, which is a big question, particularly in the United States where it's very broken, uh, no reason why we shouldn't see some net uh, more net win than net negative from this next round. But nobody, nobody says otherwise. No, no wait, no. Thomas. Can I just give you an answer to your question in that case? Yeah. Uh, you, if you have to choose between just one single system for prohibition or ritual, or if there are a hundred different variations of prohibition or ritual and how you do prohibition, you can actually choose between. Which one would you prefer? Well, I would like to go back to something that. Uh that uh, Ebert said last time and he was basically saying that uh, you know we will have we have some kind of uh, space where you will have AI enforcing some kind of globalized prohibition which we're already moving towards um I mean try to try to even write a a a, a 
is a, a slightly provoking restaurant review on uh, online, right? I mean, you, you, you get banned for hate speech. So this stuff is everywhere. Now it's being enforced by AI. And so what Ebert pointed out is that he saw kind of some kind of uh, battle going on between uh, between you would have a personalized AI assistant who would help you to survive in an environment where all kinds of other AIs are trying to regulate your behavior. So it would be a very dynamic, um, a very dynamic situation where where you would have to basically navigate a very complex space aided by by digital assistance, by by AI assistance. So kind of like a, a um, how shall I put it, um, a um, like an almost state of of constant conflict. And and I think that there is not no really any. You, you, we are already moving into a space where prohibition is almost entirely global. And the only thing you can do is to create bubbles where you're isolated from this from this global state of, of, of prohibition, where you isolate yourself from that and where you can do things that are that are that are being done in private, because that will become increasingly increasingly difficult. And that's already the case. So I think that it's these things that we we that are really interesting to discuss. I mean, saying things like "Oh, AI has bad sides and good sides." Well, yes, everybody says that all the time. It's not very interesting, right? Or yes, uh, now we we have a snare drum that uh, that comes out of a can, and nobody knows how to play the snare drum anymore. Yes, that's all true, but it's a bit not really where the where the beef is, right? I mean. Well, maybe I mean, in whole... terms of deep motivation, like what about this problem of the easy button, you know, or, or is it going to become another kind of obesity, right? It's just everything becomes so so easy that that, that people just become incredibly stupid or, or not, uh, you know, I mean, that, what, about, I, I mean what about the the inverted techne period uh, pyramid, like, for instance, like the inverted pyramid of sort of knowledge and know-how with regard to these technologies is is that a concern for everyone for instance you know everyone learns how to build a fire but nobody knows how to build a fucking hvac system um and once we become dependent on these systems and lose the techne and know-how to build those systems and there's suddenly a solar flare i mean this is a, a typical argument um and if this is boring i can definitely go on to uh sort of explain thomas's question <laughs> in other ways in terms of sensocracy and interfacing with AI. But uh, yeah, anyway, I think- No, I, I, think, I, think you're, I think you're still with a Heideggerian mode and you've expressed it already, but I think what you're going into that I'm certainly interested in, and Thomas alludes to that too, is that we shouldn't mix up with the old institutions. Again, Gibson and I agree here. Uh, we shouldn't mix up with the old institutions are trying to tame the internet for their, to their favors, right? The old institutions are around. Politics is still around. Right, old industry is still around, academia is still around. They're trying to do everything they can. They invented woke for that reason for 10 years ago to do like a collective guilt trip. Well, that's a prohibition, if anything, right? So uh, they're investing their resources in the corruption of the algorithms, in the manipulation of the algorithms. And what's most important when I talk to Chinese people and Russians today, in the conformation of the algorithm. And that is probably what Thomas was adhering to, which is the horror, is that for every year, it gets narrower, 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 what you can do in the prohibition gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's certainly the worst form of marriage between the old institutions and the new technologies I could imagine. But it's already happening in Russia and China. It can certainly happen with us too. And a lot of these politicians are out there are all too happy to sign documents actually that conform society. This conformation is even worse than manipulation and corruption. And these I would are, like to come back the to, these, uh, to these, these letters that are appearing everywhere, right? You should interpret these uh, letters. And I think Foucault would, would really love this. This is basically people asking, we've created a machine and we have no idea how to use it. Who wants to take power here? That's really what's out there now. With all these letters of concern, there's also, there's genuine concern, of course, but there's also an, an aspect of it is, We've we've written this letter, so don't hold us responsible. And please, can somebody step up and use the technology that we have developed to to uh, to to uh, run the world? And that's very much out there. And this is going to be very very interesting. And the first thing that's going to happen is that we already have enormous amount of of of, uh, 
of uh, basically um, um, telling people what they can say and what they cannot say. And this was all done by, by people in poor countries reading texts now, right? So you had to pay people and, and you had the human in the loop. Now that's all done by, by AI. AI can censor you on a split second, on a scale that we haven't seen before. And it's going to hit us like a tsunami soon. And of course, there's the good news story, uh, you know, healthcare and, and, and medicine and stuff like that. We'll see enormous benefits from, uh, from AI. But I think we need to kind of start discussing the enormous uh, possibilities of censorship and control that are now being, being let loose. And I'm not saying it's inevitable. I'm not saying that an AI dictatorship is is uh, is unavoidable. But I think we'd better start discussing this. And I'm not talking about an AI in charge, right? AI is incredibly stupid. I mean, these large language models are just statistical models. They're incredibly dumb. There is no consciousness in there. But they are very, very powerful tools in the hands of smart people. But so long as there's this very strict sort of uh, prohibition mediated by AI, isn't that a return to religion? So long as you have a fucking holiday from it, uh, a purge, like the movie The Purge, where you have 12 hours where you can go murder people and then get back to the the unpliant legal structure. Yeah, but this is this is the enormous problem, right? So religion had it was kind of a, a system that 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 um, consisted of two parts, prohibition and ritual, and they were attuned to each other. If you create something that is only prohibition, you're going to have chaos. Because you, you design the prohibition and you are not thinking about the ritual that you are also designing. If you create a prohibition, a structure of prohibition, you automatically create a ritual. And that ritual, you will not know what, what you're creating if you only focus on the prohibition. That's the problem. You will create... You will create dictatorial systems or even systems that look very benign and look, uh, you know, we're trying to do good. But you're actually designing a prohibition that pushes people into states of chaotic ritual that are extremely chaotic. That is the problem because nobody, because a lot of people are designing worlds that, that are, they seem to be based on a human nature that is very optimistic, reasonable people, rational people who don't need religion and so on and so on. And they seem to design worlds for those kind of people that do not exist. That is the problem. Pay communist China today. Here's where Thomas' point is so, so, you're so point on Thomas here. Communist China are dreaming about a Confucian society with eternal happiness that does prohibition intensely and leaves no room for ritual because the Communist Party are terrified of the ritual. That's exactly what communist China is at today. What they're doing in the process, according to Girard, and I agree, is that they're obviously creating a culture pressure cooker. And what they do with the pressure cooker is that they let a lot of Chinese people leave. 100,000 Hong Kong Chinese have reset into the UK in the last six months. Thanks, because these guys just saved Brexit. Brexit would look great because Chinese people are moving to the UK. But Hong Kong is then being filled by the people who think Hong Kong is better than mainline China. The stream is going one way, it's going out of China and millions of people are leaving. Why? Because they can't stand the idea of living in a world with only prohibition and no ritual. That's what tyranny is, right? That's what the tyrant wants. And then what they're doing, of course, then when the pressure gets going as well, besides having a lot of people leave the country, same problem in Iran, same problem in Russia. I meet all these Russians, millions are leaving Russia right now. Okay, they're getting out because they can't live in a society with only prohibition or no ritual. So, so, so the pattern is there already. They're creating these pressure cookers. What they then do, Xi Jinping, is that the guy's loyal to him. They're corrupt and stay with him. And then he goes after other guys in the Chinese party. And then, of course, he arranges the scapegoat mechanism. That's exactly what he's doing. That local communist boss over there, yeah, he's corrupt. If you want to get rid of him, corruption will be gone. And the communist party will, again, be, be Confucian and fantastic and everything. And they go after him. It's exactly what they're practicing. And everybody but hopes Xi Jinping is terrified. But Stalin's. the scapegoat mechanism is ritual. It it's is a ritual. I, I would say it's replacing ritual when it's completely arranged, right? Okay, if you know if you know that the guy at the top is completely corrupt, like Putin in Russia, and you then just take a local guy and then puts him out there and says he's the betrayer, go and kill him. Yeah, it might work a few times, but after a while you get it. No, wait a second. That's that's not the real scapegoat. You got to go for another scapegoat. What Putin is therefore doing in Russia right now this is the next thing that's going to happen in Russia. Russia is that the Duma are going to declare homosexuality a psychiatric disease. Perfect to create scapegoats from the population itself. 
That's Putin's next game. This is what Thomas means with prohibition without ritual. So we have these really shaky systems in Russia, in China, in Iran. They look terrible, right? But here's the problem. Our politicians who realize they're done, AI, AI is going to get rid of them, and hopefully with the free and open AI, whatever. But the politicians in Europe and America, they're all too willing to import precisely the police state technologies from China that China have developed and are now selling to Russia and Iran and have them in Europe and America too. And that's, that's I think, Thomas again is spot on in the sense that there's a conformation of what we can do into less and less and less. And all we can do in this is create these little free spaces somewhere that are tantric realms or whatever that the government cannot control. I think we're, I think we're heading there already. Now, isn't there another alternative? It's interesting. We <laughs> always want to bring it back to the religious uh, paradigm, but uh, you know, let's consider the turn away from religion in the Enlightenment. That uh, essentially uh, we no longer had a society based on prohibition. Pretty much all human societies prior to the Enlightenment were based on prohibition, and I'll take you guys' word for it. Also, ritual, though. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, I'm not enough of a scholar of that uh, of religion to know if there was always uh, exceptions to prohibition in the form of formal ritual. I think of Catholic ritual. I don't see too much fucking in the aisles there. Jim, Jim, I'll just interrupt you. That's the difference between sutra and tantra in Eastern cultures. Right. China, India, Persia had the sutra. Tantra is the ritual. So they always had a place. Catholics have carnival, right? Yeah. yeah, that's, that's the closest. You know, Rio, that. Rio de Janeiro. That's yeah, carnival. Su- it's a typical Catholic yeah. thing. You know, Protestants yeah, southern, don't do that. They don't have yeah. carnival. Yeah, good, good point. Good point. And Southern uh, Catholics, uh, not so much uh, Northern German Catholics, but even more so the goddamn Protestants. Right? They're like Catholic squared in that regard. Uh, but uh, we did step. We did at least in theory step away from all that with the Enlightenment and said liberalism is the answer liberty and you know everyone seems on the right and the left today seems to want to throw uh universal human uh liberalism in the trash uh maybe isn't that the right road to stick to because it's very compatible with this vision of subsidiarity and you know omni uh point uh governance etc and so why do we even want to go to a new form of prohibition and ritual when instead we could stick with the Enlightenment vision of liberty? Well, I mean, we had we had Nazi Germany, right? I mean, it was still and pretty, pretty bad, right? Enlightenment well, and this, oh, this very rational had, way of thinking. And we, and we had, I mean, we, had like the, we had like the car crash of the 20th century. How can you be so like, oh, we had the Enlightenment. That was really great. I mean... The whole, well, who the whole point is that you can't just say like people are not religious. I mean, yeah. people are religious. And if you take away their religion, they'll find one themselves. And that means that they will they will demand prohibition. They will demand to be told what to do. And they're going to scapegoat those who do not follow the rules. That's what happened in the in the 20th century. If you take religion away and you just put, put, throw people in a vacuum, they will go back to archaic patterns of unstructured religion. And that means scapegoating. On a, in the and in the in the in the Second World War on an industrial scale, that's what we're going to go to if 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 people just kind of if 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 the religious impulse of humans is not somehow turned into something that is how shall I put it constructive or something that that leads to that 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 avoids these these extremes of ossification from from extreme prohibition that then always erupts in in chaotic scapegoating. If you put, so Alexander was right, he, he calls it a pressure cooker, right? That's exactly what it is. Then you end up with societies that are full of rules and everybody's rational and, and it works until it doesn't work, until it explodes into an enormous amount of violence. You have to kind of, you have to balance prohibition and ritual. And that's why the West has always been, has always been a, a particularly, or in, in the best of its times, it's been particularly vivid because it allowed ritual. But it, it didn't but, try to to put rules all over the place. It always had kind of like they always had a fringe, you know. There's a and especially in America, that's the case. America is a is a society with a lot of rules, but it has always highly highly cherished experimentation, the unconventional, the right of people to organize their their own ways of living, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Ah, uh, uh, there's one fundamental thing about the Anglosphere as compared to the rest of Europe, and much of the rest of the world, it has to do with the, the logic of law. 
in the Anglosphere, that which is not prohibited is allowed, right? So even though we do have fuck, fuck all too many uh, laws in the United States and the UK and Australia and Canada today, that which is not regulated is totally free, at least in theory, right? Unlike the civil law of Europe, where more or less the opposite is true, uh, that only that which is allowed is permitted in the same way in civil law countries, uh, the uh, presumption of innocence is nowhere near as strong as it is in the common law. Jim, Jim, I've got to stop you here. You sound like a fucking American racist right now. <laughs> listen, listen, that is such a simplification. It doesn't work like that at all. Scandinavia is a huge exception from, from what we just pointed. Let's go back instead to liberalism and its problems. Okay. Okay, okay let's if do that. If liberalism tries to be secular and doesn't admit that it can be religious, it leaves the religion door open. I think that's what Thomas is getting at. The problem was when liberalism took the place of religion was that it resulted in atomism, narcissism, and hedonism massively. What we did was that we drenched people in a consumer society and exploited this planet until exhaustion and created consumer societies so we could keep down mimetic rivalry and mimetic desire to minimum. So everybody got something that seemed that they had what the idols had, right? That's what we did in the 20th century, and it wouldn't last any longer. It won't work. We'll have a little chance now to save your darling if you want to, because a war is going on in Europe, but the Ukrainians decided to, 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 to use their flag and invent their nationality or reinvent it to then defend liberal democracy against feudalism. So you have a war right now with pro-enlightenment, which is Ukraine, against pre-enlightenment, which is Russia. That's exactly the conflict. And we are on fire in Europe because it appears there are people who are willing to live and die for liberal democracy. And we're kind of shocked. And we're getting out of the decadence of it. So there is a, re a massive reappreciation of liberal democracy. But unfortunately, I think it's only going to last for a few years and then probably going to back to the problem. And the problem is that liberalism doesn't play into the needs of human beings. Something is lacking. So it, it must be the, the name for that is religion. And I'm, I'm much more serious and honest with people in discussion when I said everything is religion, exactly that which pretends not to be religion is probably the least interesting or the most dangerous. So so I, I'd say America, America has its churches and, and mosques and whatever today. And, and we need those institutions inside as well, because we need to have this game where prohibition ritual get their places, the dialectic between the prohibition ritual. Because otherwise you either create a tyranny that eventually becomes a pressure cooker and explodes and becomes an anarchy. That's historically what happens. Or just let everything loose into completely hedonistic, free for all, everybody's fighting with each other free for all, which is another form of anarchy. So you have two ditches and you need to be in the middle of those two. And historically, we call that religion is the regulation of, of prohibition ritual. What Thomas and I agree is the Buddhist numbers or is that we need to import from the East is that the tantric realm must exist in the middle of our society. Otherwise, yep. we're just going to buy into the Chinese dream right away and create another form of like a Christian tyranny, whatever. It won't work. Now, of course, in the United States, we have a very interesting model where the most one of the most religious major countries on Earth, at least of the industrialized ones, and yet totally heterogeneous. Everything from uh, Hindus to Buddhists to uh, fundamentalist crackpots to very liberal Unitarians and Episcopalians, etc. And so there's room for everybody to have a religion, and yet the religion is not. Uh, and if you want to personally say, I will not eat pork, or I will not dance, or I will not wear a skirt above my knee, you're perfectly allowed to do that within, uh, uh, say, an American pluralistic religious tradition. It does not require a system-wide prohibition nor system-wide ritual. And isn't that more compatible with the? You, you have a, you idea? have a you have a, a, a ban on paganism. You have That's a complete ban on the, actually the whole world as a ban on archaic paganism. And, and people don't even know that. If in America you want to bring back human sacrifice, which is the oldest religious structure, which is basically the, the basis of humanization and the basis of religion itself, you are not allowed to do that. So there is a huge, huge prohibition. And it seems that people are just not even aware that it's there, which I find quite interesting. I'm not saying to bring back human sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, uh, let yeah, me be clear. Right? But exactly you should true. know but, and that. Sorry, and I, I would like to interject point, here for a So second. this is a deep religious stance that you have in America. 
you're deeply, deeply religious about human sacrifice, scapegoating and killing, killing scapegoats is fundamentally wrong. Although that's changing. If you look at America with all the shootings and all the violence, it's slowly creeping back. That is religion. Religion is, goes much, much more deeper than, than I think many people realize. But also, all, let me just give me give me a second. So, I mean, we're all kind of familiar with adult developmental theories up to a point. Keegan and Wilbur and all these kinds of things. And so, the, he posed that these scientists posed that there that there are structures of consciousness, that there are levels, and there are that the the uh, enlightenment level is a relatively new one. And with beneath is all this strata of archaic and religious structures that we can't just learn, can't let go. They will always inform our behavior. And so, and I think that is what Gerard is alluding to and Thomas, that independently of what you're doing, these deep structures of consciousness will always find their way into what we're doing. You know, I'm thinking that, that, that there's a way in which the AI question is a theological one, right? Because we're always talking about creating a God. And so, so even if we're trying to avoid religion, you're saturated in it so so deeply that the most atheistic type like like jim is is without even trying is going to spout a bunch of religion no, no matter what i'm sorry jim you're you're wonderful but 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 it seems that that, that i you know i totally agree with that long if you want to call religion that which rejects uh, supernatural nonsense then sure i suppose i'm religious but uh, my form of anti-religion is quite specific against the supernatural uh, that that we agree on i'm a zoroastrian zoroastrians have okay sorry yeah. zoroastrians uh, have been opposed to the supernatural for 3700 years you're welcome to join the club yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you, are, now, you, are, you are religious, Jim. You are your belief in the community you're talking about. These are religious faith things, and they're yeah, beautiful. You're religious, and, that, and, and so you know, I'm happy to align myself with things like I know you guys don't like this, the John Verbeke's religion that is not a religion, which is to replace the uh, you know, the singing together, the dancing together, the uh, you know, probably some decorum rules about who to who you can have sex with when, which may vary from community to community. A lot of the things that traditional religion provided, but rigorously without the superstition. Uh, you know, it's you don't have to reinvent the wheel, American again. <laughs> <laughs> you've had you've had you've had people in India who have been atheists for the last four thousand years. You know, just travel the world and you find exactly what you're looking for. I converted to a religion that's highly successful, small, kind of an elite religion. They never believed in the supernatural. They also believed in equality between the sexes. They believed in ecology for three thousand seven hundred years. You can just make the effort to study outside of American Christianity and you find religions that you love so you don't have to invent it. That's exactly opposed to the term religion that is not a religion. I prefer you go to Alex Ebert and ask him to name it something positive instead of just running around with delegation. <laughs> yeah. That'd be more inspiring. Yeah. Hey, so Alex, what do we got, what do we got for a better name for the religion that's not a religion? Atheism. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is me. a religion. That's not a religion, isn't it? I mean, yeah. well, it, not it really. Is... Atheism it doesn't say not a religion. It just says not theism. Exactly. Right? And... You can read the synthism book from ten years ago by Barton Sedaquist. It's called Synthiology, which is the belief that machine can one day become God. Yeah. By now, I hope it's just not going to be one machine. I hope we're going to have a lot of machines and a lot of gods. I'm definitely poly when it comes to gods in the future, which is exactly the point here. But uh, atheology and syntheology and, and entheology should be practiced as practices within pantheology and therefore also theology. Theology is all these things. Theology is basically deeper than philosophy. We start thinking about evolution or developed forms that we orientate ourselves after, like archetypology, et cetera. We are doing theology. That's what we're doing. So atheology in no God is also a theology. That's, that's a brilliant example. I have two questions uh, or one, one statement Another question. Uh, the, the ritual time uh, can be vicarious, no? In the case of Jesus on the cross, that is supposed to be a sustained ritual. Yes, they have. We have Mardi Gras and we have Carnival and we have these sorts of things and we can talk in tongues and do glossalia. But really, the big, according to Gerard, the big shift was that we have this sustained 
sacrifice that we're always referring back to as this sort of ritual time. And it's not an allotment of time. It's sort of a portal to a ritual time, phenomenological ritual time that sustains itself across the millennia and thereby sort of allows the prohibitions to remain prohibitions and et cetera, et cetera. So in other words, the ritual can be sort of narratological, can be vicarious, can be essentially created uh, and, and mythological, no? Well, the, the problem is that people who are, if you have a lot of people who are not exposed to, to true rituals, that means uh, rituals that are that are not just vicarious. You can't, you can't just watch somebody do a ritual on, on stage I mean, that's what everybody doing now. You go to these concerts and you stand, you 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 watch somebody on a stage do it for you. This is all very unsatisfying. This uh, this is not this is kind of it's like cheap trills, and uh, people prefer than the real thing. And what is the what is the real thing that you can do now? Well, why don't you join a, a mob on the internet and go after some scapegoats? That's a lot more real than to stand there and watch some heavy metal band with some fake blood on stage. So people gravitate to that. And it will remain to be seen where, where this will go. Because now violence is already erupting. Uh, it's going from the from the digital sphere into, into reality. You already have riots. We had, uh, we had all the riots in, in, uh, in the States from uh, all, all different sides of the political spectrum. So when people don't have proper ritual, then they'll find it themselves. They'll take drugs. They'll do hooliganism uh they'll they'll start scapegoating people on the internet that's what people do and the more you put prohibition on there the more they will develop chaotic rituals i mean may i re remind you of the fentanyl epidemic in the states that's a perverted ritual that's people missing ritual and finding it in a pill so give us an example of a proper ritual the proper ritual will not be televised oh god <laughs> I, I agree totally with that one. Okay, so the other way of doing it, the Christian version, we know Gerard's version, Zoroastrianism actually before Christianity got rid of the blood sacrifice and had a prohibition on it uh, by taking literally the fire at the blood or the human sacrifice and just fire. And therefore they created fire temples. And the fire temples of Persia eventually became the Zen rock gardens you find everywhere in Japan and China. So the way they did it along the trade routes was that they had the place where you go, you meditate, and you get something to meditate next to, whether it's a rock garden or a fire temple, probably depends on the landscape. The reason you don't have fire temples in, in Japan is because it's full of wooden structures everywhere that be on fire. That's the only reason why. So that tradition started. Then the tantric realm is never to be televised, never to be talked about, never to allow anybody in. That's the whole point. We call it aditonology, so Westerners can get it, the Greek word for it. The, the logos of the inner sanctum, where all the laws and rules outside are suddenly out in thin air, and there are no dogmas and no rules and no laws allowed at all. But you got a container. That's the point of the title. You got a container, so whatever happens there is contained in there. We mimic this when we experiment. We mimic this and we start incubators in tech. And, and we mimic this and we say that, let's take this idea. This idea is so brilliant, but it's also so new and threatening. So we've got to put it inside a container. We do a startup with it and we let somebody experiment in a laboratory. The experimental laboratory mimics the idea of the tantric realm. That was lacking Christianity. Thankfully, we have other religions in the West. We had capitalism, et cetera, that really started using these metaphors and started using them again. But capitalism then told you, the tantric yom is the fucking nightclub or the whorehouse or the Friday night, and tons of drugs and fucking whores or whatever, because you go to work from Monday to Friday, you'll be okay. So that's again, these two spaces. So the reason we had hedonism and we have liberal democracy in the enlightenment in the West, was despite Christianity, it was a protest of Christianity who got the enlightenment. And that's exactly what we tried to develop. But it's very chaotic. I prefer to go inside a system. That's why I think Western technology and Eastern, Eastern religion makes perfect sense. Because for me, the Eastern religions have, because they developed along the trade routes, because they decentralized religions, they don't have a Mecca or a Rome or a Jerusalem, which is a good sign. There's a central point. The decentralized religion developed along trade routes, spiritual schools. And they allow tantric realms for sure because they know they're needed. And I think that that is key for me, my work to go there to find the models we could start working from.
And then my, my, my part two, if you don't mind, but coming back to liberalism, the US versus China, AI, all of that, consensus versus unilateralism. I feel like, and Jim, maybe this is to you or to everybody, but like the, the federalized model or what are you calling it, the subsidiarianism or whatever, um, is, is, I mean, consensus in my experience, not just uh, theoretically, is sort of the enemy of action. Um, and in some ways, the enemy of the self. How in a federalized format do we compete with a unilateral format? Yeah, that was the question I asked uh, earlier. Uh, you know, will can a loosely coupled uh, multi-layer system outcompete a monolithic uh, system? And Alexander actually pointed out that there is some history that says it can. Uh, you know, the West outcompeted the Soviet Union, which was an attempt, an incompetent one. Uh, the West, by force of numbers and plus Russia, defeated the Nazis, uh, who were another uh, top down. And uh, now, on the other hand, they were still out fighting us three to one at the end, which was amazing. But by brute force and by weight of numbers, we were able to crush them. Uh, and how that will work out this time, we'll find out. But uh, at least there's some so track. track so your examples show that you have to have a sufficient outgroup. You have to have a, a, a big, bad sort of other in order to galvanize uh, cooperation amongst the federalized outfits. Um, yeah, and now, now you can create that outgroup using AI, right? So or, you can you can you can use the digital network and then and then use AI to to really um to really transmit that and then impose that image of the out group and well and or you need a goal power. you don't necessarily need an out group let's take for instance uh, climate change and uh, the, the the need to do regenerative ecology and roll back the imposition. but then you start scapegoating people who don't agree with you on, on green energy and they will you always to... scapegoat humans you do not you, you're not I mean. But I beyond, mean, it's, it's, I mean, have you looked around? I mean, if you if you say the wrong things about these sensitive topics, we all know what they are. Then you 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 get scapegoated. There's but like even with the good, of people going after you. But even with a good scapegoat and a good other, I can definitely speak on. In terms there are of, no good scapegoats. Hey, but that's even basically in terms of, Christianity, Zoroastrianism, and I I would say that that's basically the true message of Christianity. There are no good scapegoats. If you, you scapegoat. Christ? You are you you are going down the the road of of you're going to you're going to hell you end up with hell you end up with Nazi Germany you don't scapegoat you can disagree with people you can disagree with them strongly but you can't no, no, scapegoat I, them. Yeah, but that's a different yeah but to be scapegoated is to be noble and but that's a different conversation what I'm actually talking about as far as Christianity goes and that's why no. scapegoat, being scapegoated no. is itself mimetic. <laughs> yes, of course, everybody wants to be a fucking martyr, but let's just hold yes, that for a second. That's true. Yeah. No, 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 but no, not that's everybody. not true ever. Ever that's not true. No. Stalin's death was a perfect example of the scapegoat mechanism. It's a mechanism. Stalin starved to death. Everybody hated his guts. The second he was dead, they came in and turned his corpse into God and the God of the Soviet Union. The scapegoat mechanism is so fundamental. It's nothing to do with good, good or evil at all. Just get that out of the head right away. I didn't say good or evil. Yeah. I'm saying I don't mean good, good or evil. I mean it works. That's all. It's the function. It, it, it works because we're going back to it again and again and again. Sure, sure. I'm just saying woke is an is an outcropping of Jesus. It's an outcropping of does the desire to be the uh, the, the 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 crucified. Because being crucified anyway, it's not what I want to talk about. I'm saying consensus. Like, what is? How do we deal if we're talking about liberalism and we're talking about liberalism in the context of AI and federalism and sort of this pluralistic, loose network of uh, whatever? Even in the context of 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 uh, uh, climate change, I've experienced firsthand how how fucked up, like how, how much I would prefer a unilateral approach versus a consensus approach. And yet consensus is this highly lauded uh, rule of liberal sort of activity. So how do we negotiate that? Because Okay, okay, can I, I get where you're going. The bomb is even better in that case. When I say that we created the devil and the devil became present to us in August 6, 1945 of Hiroshima. And therefore, we try to create a God that can contain the devil to begin with. So anybody can come up with a technological solution that can contain the bomb. Otherwise, we will blow ourselves up with the bomb. We're, we're close to right now, both in China and Russia. 
So the 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 bomb is still a threat, much more than we will acknowledge. And we we most most of us are talking about climate because we're too terrified of the bomb, which is the real threat. Is the real extent climate is messy and costly at most, but it's not an existential threat. It's seriously serious. The bomb is, and I think I think climate took over from the bomb because the bomb was too scary to handle. Yeah, okay, but keep it to an absolute minimum, okay? Because it's about existentialism, it's about human beings still being around, and that's global law. And there must be some kind of global order in that case. And there are global orders already. We have the internet standard. The internet protocol is a global order. When we wrote the global empire in 2003, 20 years ago, Sodekvist and I say, keep that an absolute minimum because technology itself will go towards global. And that's terrifying, but it will. The question is then once technology becomes global, is it just one God, one AI, an absolute total prohibition game over? That's the question. And I agree with you. Ask all the people who leave China and leave Iran and leave Russia at the moment. They're getting out because they're just feeling that the world is getting more and more conformed, more and more narrow. Consensus is being sought everywhere, but the consensus is going upward towards the dictator. They want to get out. You can't be creative in that environment. It's impossible. You have to leave. They go in exile to the benefit of us because we get great Russians and Chinese and, and Iranians coming to the West being really fantastic, doing great work. You know, but, but um, that, that's how it works. I, I hope that's an amazing winner, point yeah. that you make, the amazing point you make that we would be concerned with climate change instead of the bomb, because we can't face the most terrifying thing directly, you know, and that's almost why we make scapegoats in the first place. That's, that's a good point, but the bomb, the, the bomb has to be contained. If you spread the bomb, we're done. That's just a fact. And then you could, you can argue whether climate is on the same serious level or not. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's not serious. I'm just saying that yeah. we need these substitute causes, you know, and 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 concerns to yeah, avoid the, the but, most but, dangerous. But, yeah, but then uh, the bomb will leak and then we will die. That's I think yeah. Jim agrees with me yeah. that this is Danish Magdeburg and Alexander Barr. This is what we're talking about all the time. Is it, it's just there are existential threats and they're real and they're also historically novel. They haven't happened before. So we can we can talk about the mechanisms of how the work of human beings operate as much as we like, but there are historically new things we're dealing with here. For me, I'm just saying the bomb because undeniably it's a major threat to us. Real, very real right now. So yeah, there's, yeah. There's if you blow the bomb, we're done, right? And yeah, that means there must be some kind of global order. So there must be something that is ultimately central. Yes. But stop, yeah. stop right there, right? And subsidiarity does not rule that out. You know, so, 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 subsidiarity says that the governance and decision making should be at the at the level that is most appropriate for the problem. And so things like the bomb, things like uh, global warming, and perhaps even more so the uh, uh, planetary boundaries themselves. Uh, one of the things Schmachtenberger is really hot on right now is uh, you know advanced uh, biotech. Uh, you know, the uh, gain of function research, et cetera, uh, which could easily be more severe in its outcome than climate, because I'm with you, Alexander. Uh, while second and third order effects could collapse all technological civilization from climate change, it, it does not look like the way to bet, unlike a uh, spasm 4,000 warhead exchange, which would uh, knock technological society on its ass probably for generations, uh, bio, there are some bio risks uh, that could also be at that same level, uh, weaponized, uh, you know, weaponized smallpox. There's a nice one for you. Uh, what would that do? Lose 50% of the world's population probably and, uh, and all the things that come on for that. So anyway, the issue is uh, that Alex raised is a, is a real one, but the concept of subsidiary acknowledges it. Now, unfortunately, what we don't have yet is the governance stack that operates well from bottom to top. We have the legacy nation state in the middle. Uh, and in reality, the uh, people who study intergovernment, uh, international relations call it the anarchy of international uh, relations. There is nothing that happens in international relations that's binding on the nation state. The nation state can always say, fuck you, United Nations, I'm not doing what you're saying. And hell, even the United States does that from time to time. And certainly other, a lot of other countries do as well. So in evolving what comes next, Part of the governance stack is figuring out how do we actually create a small but binding global level that does not grow its power to be all-encompassing and is telling us whether we can drink alcohol on the streets of our neighborhood or not. If we look at history, power wants to absorb more power at 
higher and higher levels every time. And the new social operating system has got to find a way to only limit the powers at higher levels to the, that which is necessary at those higher levels. That's the design principle. I would say we don't yet have the design implementation to make that happen. Well, that will probably a battle of that will probably a battle of, of AIs as as uh, as, uh, as Alex pointed out last time. You'll need to be able to defend yourself against uh, personally defend yourself by, by privacy measures by smart algorithms to protect uh, against against what is out there, and that will probably happen on many different levels. And that's yeah, not going to happen if they make AI, if they make it very, very, uh, if, if they start controlling it, right? So you, you yeah. probably have to make sure that people have access to to advanced AIs and not just keep it in the hands of a few small players. I'm strongly in favor of that. I've, I've been predicting that the most natural reaction in terms of innovation to the, the flood of sludge that's going to come from AI and the attempt to force us to conform is that we will uh, respond by building or have built for us and be competition amongst these info agents that will screen out the shit will also allow us to build mm. our own virtual networks that aren't controlled by anybody. But to do that, we are going to have to have access to good quality, inexpensive uh AI and fortunately that's gonna that's probably going to happen at least in the West because there's so many vested interests that will benefit from it and there's only a small number of players the open AIs and Googles who would benefit from the uh, the opposite and as and as it happens to turn out it could have been the other way around the technology isn't that hard at least for the current round LLMs and uh, it's frankly already too late people right, uh, right. so so I think that's why, again, why I'm optimistic. I see this info agent thing as being very transformational. Uh, and people keep saying, well, why don't you go build it? And I always tell them, well, I'm too old, I'm too rich, and I'm too lazy, goddammit. But somebody out there in uh, listener land should go and, uh, and, and take this on as the task of their life. Because, one, a gigantic uh, $100 billion or more uh, trillion-dollar opportunity, and it'll do good for the world, and it's doable. So somebody should go do that. One of the reasons I'm relatively optimistic. One other thing I think a lot about is that we may need a digital Magna Carta or something to uh, to perform a rights of personhood to extend to our data. I'm not sure, but I know that AI and algorithm algorithms are argued to already have legal personhood. Um, not sure what y'all think about that, but uh, the implications of not having digital personhood or not having personhood extend to our data seem seems a little perilous. Well, the European Union have moved very quickly in this department. You already got new European law. So that's already happening. I mean, there are, this is like top priority for lawmakers. It's also a way for them to get back into the game and look like they're important and can tax us and things like that. Uh, certainly they want to tax AI, right? So that's already happening. So I'm not worried about that. that that's, that's already happening. The question here, though, is the tech industry has got to have new costs. There's so many productivity gains to be made, so they can certainly put a new cost. And I think Thomas is on to that. When Thomas says that at the end of the day, any population larger than tribe has to be policed on the inside and has to have military defense towards the outside. That consciousness is given of social membranes. Any population larger than tribe. And you need to police and you need to have military defenses. So if you have many competing AIs, you're going to have military defenses in between them. That means that this is a golden age for military equipment and for the military to come back in. And it's called cybersecurity already. And it's gonna explode in every direction, be bigger than ever. I've told people now for years, it's probably the best investment. I tell people, if you're gonna invest in the future in a career, either become a psychiatrist or a cybersecurity guy. You know, those two guys will have tons of work ahead of them. 